Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com str. You have somehow ended up listening to the stuff that's real that you didn't know was real but also is cool podcast or sturdy dick were bayek or uh never mind What is up, everyone? Thank you once again for tuning into our Cyberspace Ritual of the Week, which is, of course, your favorite show, Stuff That's Real, that you didn't know is real but also is cool. And we do have two really cool things to share today. I know what Kevin's is, but I'm keeping mine, yeah. I'm holding my cards close to my chest today because this is a subject I would say near and dear to my heart, especially of late, as I have been writing a book about this very thing. And I guess I could say the name of the book, but it's probably going to change. So there's no point. I'm co-writing this one with a friend of mine named Jim Heskett. And I have written the first draft, handed it off to him. I guess we're going to write the second and third books before we release. So it'll be, you know, 20 years before these things come out. But I'm excited for this one, man. Have you ever heard the name Amelia Earhart? No, I'm just kidding. Of course we have. <laughs> I may be familiar with it in perhaps, passing. Perhaps. This one has always been one of those stuff that's real that you didn't know was real. Yes, but also is cool. Subjects, that's something we knew was real, right? I mean, we know Amelia Earhart existed. Yeah. Kind of like Jesus, right? Like we, we knew he was a guy. The argument <laughs> is what happened. <laughs> what happened after the guy died? Right. So Amelia Earhart, you know, the whole thing here is... She gets in a plane. She's trying to fly across the world. She's already pretty famous for doing stuff like this. And then she disappears. And, you know, this is back in, like, I don't know, Roman era. So we don't have any science I can find her or whatever. But no, I'm just kidding. I'll back up. So she starts her flight. I think it's 1937. So the world is kind of coming out of this World War I depression era. Of course, they don't know what's about to hit them with World War II. But this is kind of a hopeful time. Planes are starting to be more reliable. And Amelia Earhart, of course, in a time of man-run industries, piloting and aircraft stuff is certainly in that category. And so she rises up as a person who provides hope for not just women and girls, but the world, because she's doing some really cool stuff. So this is an exceptionally sad story because she obviously, you know, disappears. This is all obvious stuff. But the question is, why? What happened to her? Where'd she go? Where's the plane? We haven't found anything yet. And so, right. you know, it's easy to assume that she just crashed in the ocean. But, you know, the more that I read and dug into this, it just seems more and more, I'll just go ahead and say, mysterious. Because I'm a fiction writer and I'm a conspiracy theorist by trade. But this is not a person who was new to flying. This was also you know, in the middle of the summer and it was really good weather. Very unlikely that there was a, a serious tropical storm or something that took the plane down. It's very unlikely that she got lost based on visual cues. And this is one part that I didn't really know, but she actually was not alone in the plane. Like she had a guy with her named Fred Noonan. And this guy Noonan was her navigator. Mm -hmm. 
And he was a very, very good one, considered to be the best in the world at the time that they took off. So this is just a really cool kind of strange story. I mean, it's cool now that it, you know, it's 100 years later almost, but what happened? What's going on here? Like, why did she just disappear? Why can't we find any pieces of the plane? I mean, yeah, I guess it could have just crashed in the ocean and sank all the way to the bottom in a particularly deep spot. But that's kind of the point of this whole thing is there weren't really a lot of particularly deep spots, relatively speaking. You know, she went from Hawaii to Lai was going to be the place, I, or she took off from Lai, I think, and disappeared. But there's just not a lot of ocean crossings where she would have ended up like deep in a trench, you know? It seems like mm-hmm. if she would have crashed and, and she was anywhere remotely close to where she should have been, it would have been relatively shallow, clear waters, easy to see. Certainly enough, that, you know, we've sent divers and submarines down there to find her. It's just kind of a fascinating story all around, you know? And of course, as I was yeah. doing research on this, I decided to use the supposed resting place of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan, which is the, uh, I had it in my head at the same, right at the end, Kirikiri Island, I think was the name of it, where they think she should. So I kind of mm-hmm. set the book there and I'm kind of giving away the ending here. I'm re- relying on most of the people listening to us not reading my books. The end is essentially that Amelia Earhart was not, she didn't crash her plane, she was killed. And Fred Noonan actually has some mysterious past that he was trying to get away with. And so this whole thing was a ploy for him to take the plane down with Amelia Earhart and somehow he escapes and all that. Because all signs point to that being a plausible thing, right? You got this navigator who Amelia would have to rely on and they're flying around the world mm-hmm. and they're landing all these places, getting refueled and stuff. And then finally this longest leg, the very end of their flight in the middle of Pacific Ocean with all these islands there that are what we would call uncivilized, uninhabited or some mix of both. And it'd be a perfect place for Noonan to catch a different flight if you get my drift. Yeah. And so he may, you know, he could very easily, I wouldn't say he may, he very easily could have misdirected Amelia and said, oh, we got to, you know, two degrees to the Southwest and, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden we're flying over a different island instead of Howland Island, which is what they were looking for. They could have landed somewhere in um, the Polynesia or these islands off the coast of New Zealand or Indonesia, anywhere over there and disappeared, you know, landed the plane easily on a low tide reef. For example, that's some people think that that's what happened. And at some point, you know, Noonan went a separate way. But that's all the conspiracy side of things. I just love this whole story because there's so much possibility here as far as writing thrillers and fiction ideas and all that kind of stuff. Because we just, we don't know. We don't know, you know? Yeah. This is the kind of story that it's always fun to play with this because it's been, what, 80 something years and we don't know exactly what happened um and we're not and even close no, no we're not way even close know. yeah yeah i mean every it seems like every year you know I, i've been following this for a few years it seems like every year this breakthrough that oh we found a so this one yeah i'm reading aviationpros.com it's a major breakthrough came with the discovery of a six inch glass lens yep <laughs> it's like okay well yeah. although similar to a curved car headlight lens from the era there are no cars on buka which is where they found this thing right the, the boats yeah. mostly outrigger canoes have no lights because electricity is irregular there. They have no street lights. So there's just no glass. There's no lens. Yeah. But how many planes have flown over this whole, you know, Buka, right? How many planes since then have, have even period piece planes like the Corsair she was in? There's no way to account for how many people have visited the area or the region. Even those who might have been searching for Amelia Earhart, who may have dropped something, lost something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's no way. In glass, there's no way to... There would really be no way, unless there was like a serial number etched into it or something along along those lines. And that's the thing. You know, I learned this firsthand in Hawaii. The beaches there have sea glass all over them, Mm -hmm. which is 
you know, bottles or broken glass that has been washed up and churned over, not even for, you know, hundreds of years, because we haven't had glass that long, uh, really. It's decades or just even years. And so it wouldn't take very long at all for certainly a serial number to get worn off of a piece of glass. Right. But for that piece of glass itself to turn into just sand, essentially soft, or not soft, but, you know, very round, smooth sand. Yeah. And not to mention, the, the whole thing is, you know, if she had crashed in the ocean, currents would have a say in it as well. Yeah. So, what's to say that, you know, it wasn't part of a shipwreck delivering headlights crashed or lost some of its inventory, a shipping container fell off, that happens all the time, and that washed ashore and it's full of, you know, little headlights. <laughs> I don't remember the exact conspiracy theory, but one of the potential theories was that she was actually operating as a spy mm, and was yeah. actually shot down. For at some point, at which point they could potentially, maybe it was from a, you know, an enemy sub or something. I mean, they might have reclaimed her plane and the bodies and just made them disappear. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. one theory. I think there was another one. Well, there's several. My favorite theory comes from Star Trek. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> the crew of Voyager that one. encounters a, uh, this, this like 40s era pickup truck floating in space out in the Delta Quadrant, and it leads them to discover that Amelia Earhart and a whole bunch of other humans over a span of time were abducted and taken to this planet. So she lives on this planet. She's in suspended animation, but they wake her up, and she ends up leading this planet of humans out in the Delta Quadrant. That's my favorite. I think that one is probably the most accurate. Abduction by aliens. Abduction by aliens. Yeah. I like that one. That's fun. No, see, that's the thing. Okay, so in terms of inspiration for story, so what's great about a story like that is that there is no ending, and so thriller writers can come along and craft an ending to satisfy that the reader's, like, lust for knowing what happened. They want to know the what if, right? So there's a certain amount of, you love the idea that there's a mystery that hasn't been solved, and you want to dig and dig and dig. And the thing that drives us is we're looking for the answer. Once you have the answer, you're satisfied, right? What's great about a story like Amelia Earhart is a million thriller novels can come out on that topic and give a million different ideas about how it all went down. And readers will read every one of them because those aren't the actual answer. Yeah. Or, or they're not confirmed. <laughs> like even if you come along and you're a Brad Meltzer type and you're presenting a bunch of you know, research and facts and historical documents and, you know, searching the globe. You've come up with a theory that is probably like in the 95 percentile of being true. There's still that margin of error. So it's going to be a mystery forever. It's the margin of error, but it's also just the right. speculation part of it. It's right. it's just saying, well, hey, all the facts point to this. I'm 99% sure all the facts are saying this is what happened. But I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. Uh, you know, she so, never wrote a book and told us what happened. It's just like never, Unless you find her body and test the DNA against known Amelia Earhart DNA or something, you know, there's never going to be an answer to that question. It, well, and that's the other part of this whole thing that really intrigues me and fast. It's also sad in a lot of ways, but you know, it's, they keep finding bones on these islands <laughs> washed up on shore yeah. or, you know, human remains. And they're like, well, let's test it. It's probably Amelia Earhart this time, you know, when we know, and then they test got it, it for sure. They're like, wow, this is not Amelia Earhart. I'm like, well, who was it? Somebody died. <laughs> this turns <laughs> out to be a man, right. <laughs> an African-American man born in the 60s. Yeah, it's always stuff like that. You know? I want to, yeah, Dory, what happened to that? Was he killed? Was he murdered? Like, Well, and that know? is true, right? 
We are constantly kind of, a lot of what we're doing with this show is talking about how authors could use this kind of stuff as inspiration or whatever, right? An interesting spin on the Amelia Earhart story, given that sort of idea, could be someone who thinks that they've discovered Amelia Earhart, but they discover someone else's remains instead, and then the story becomes about that person, and they end up having equally as interesting a history and mystery you know, about their origins and their death and everything. I think that there's lots of opportunity there. And then you still have the Amelia Earhart story. And how does that factor in? Does it factor in? Maybe it doesn't, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Inspiration can come from all over the place. And often does. (laughs) And often does. Yeah, I was just really blown away. I kind of dabbled with Amelia Earhart early on in my writing career and never got around to writing anything writing any yeah. fiction about it. But of course, it's always stuck in my head as one of those, oh, one day kind of things. So when yeah. Jim pitched an idea, you know, it was, it was the same old treasure hunting and action adventure kind of thing. And with a little bit of a twist, I was like, well, I got the perfect story. What about Amelia Earhart's plane? And we find it and you know, they're looking for it. And it's set in the backdrop of a, a reality TV show is going to this island looking for Amelia Earhart's plane. And the main character is an actor whose dad was also Basically, the main character is a washed up actor trying to make it. The only reason he's even got a leg in the industry is that his dad ran a show just like that 20 years prior that was super popular. Um, But his dad, most people don't know, is actually very gifted in archaeology and history, and he was the real deal. So he didn't have to act. He knew all this stuff. And so Brody, the main character, which is funny because that name, this is kind of an aside, but that name came from Jim and I brainstorming, and we kept saying Prody, like the protagonist. P-R-O-T-Y. Yeah. And so I just said, well, I'm just going to name him Brody because that's he's the protagonist. So he's our main character and he's a- He's the bro-tagonist. He's, he's the bro-tagonist. <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of got this reputation as sort of a douchey, you know, like a sexy celebrity guy, but he's a real person with real feelings and he really wants to make a difference in the world. Anyway, so he gets hired to be the face anyway of this reality show. And of course, nobody expects that they're actually going to find anything real. And they do. And of course- they find a lot of bad guys, too, and get chased around. It's a cool. It's a fun story. So, yeah, I mean, that'll come out. I'm sure I'll announce it on this show at some point whenever we finally get it out there. But like I said, we're waiting on the second and third books there. But tons of options with Amelia Earhart. Of course, she is always the subject of many writers. I'm going to say fantasies. That's probably the wrong way to put that. But her, her story, anyway. That's happened, too. <laughs> I'm sure there's something out there. Don't, don't, yeah. don't go Googling everybody. You don't want to know. <laughs> I would advise against it. (laughs) So, yeah, that's my story du jour, Kevin. Can Mm. you beat that? Can you top that? I don't know. I don't know. I love your story, though, by the way. I just... I I forgot (laughs) about these little guys. I need to... Yeah. Just like Amelia Earhart, there has been a connection between my next topic and Star Trek. Of course. It's kind of like the Simpsons, that whole thing on the South Park when they, the Simpsons did it, you know, that whole bit. Simpsons did it. It always comes back to Star Trek with me. But I'm going to talk about water bears, or as they are now more popularly known, uh, tardigrades. And these things are kind of incredible. And what's funny is I only just heard about them a few, maybe two or three years ago. So I thought they were newly discovered, but it turns out they were actually discovered back in the 1700s, in 1773, by Johann August Ephraim Goez, and he's the one who actually dubbed them Little Water Bear. So that was the name that kind of stuck for a while. And then it was an Italian biologist, Lazzaro Spallanzani, Spallanzani who uh, named the Tardigrada, which means slow stepper. So if you haven't heard of these, I'd be surprised if you haven't by now, I guess, but 
they are these microscopic creatures that live mostly in any kind of liquid environment. So if it's liquid water, they live there. That includes lakes, rivers, the dew on a leaf, that sort of thing. I mean, they can be literally anywhere. They kind of look like the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland in a way. Like they have a chubby body and they have eight legs and each leg has these little claws on it, little tendons in there. They're kind of hideous but cute uh, yes. in a way. Yeah, they're um, like roly-poly, alien yeah. face. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting about these things is that what science has discovered about them and why they've kind of come into the spotlight recently is that they're just damn near indestructible. They are effectively immortal. <laughs> they, they've they literally done things like fire these things out of a high-speed gun, kind of like a cathode ray gun in a TV or something. Like they've actually fired them as like particles traveling at 3,000 feet per second. And they survived the crushing impact of about 1.14 gigapascals of pressure, which in science terms is a lot. That's a lot of pressure. I don't, I don't know uh, an equivalent. Like, I can't quite give you something to compare that to. It would be sort of like, you know, those crash test dummy commercials from the 80s. You know, <laughs> imagine that if, if you sped that up by like 12,000 or something. So um, what you're saying is if you shot me out of one of these things, it would hurt. It would hurt a lot. You wouldn't know it because you'd cease to exist almost instantly. You'd just be like a creamed version of myself, right? Right. <laughs> now, what they're finding, though, one of the big and shocking discoveries is that they discovered that these things can survive even in conditions where no other life can possibly survive. And that includes in the depths of space. So they've actually found evidence of the tardigrades on stuff that we've shot up into space, including things that are on the moon. So there was the, um, I'm trying to find it real quick where I can reference it, but the Israeli lunar mission Bereshit, which crashed on the moon in 2019, April 11th, 2019. They've actually found tardigrades on the remains of that spacecraft. So in every likelihood, we have actually launched billions and billions of these things to Mars, for example. I was going to say, yeah, this sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> but so that's the thing, right? So <laughs> if you start thinking about the idea of pansperma, right, which was this idea that life on Earth was seeded by life from out in space and that it all came from comets hitting the earth and contaminating the earth with, you know, alien bacteria and stuff that eventually multiplied in the sort of fertile landscape of the earth and then eventually became amoebic life. And then eventually that evolved into, you know, multicellular life and that, you know, up, up, up until it became us. And we're, now we're flinging stuff out into space ourselves. So uh, this idea that there are these tiny little creatures that can survive in any environment and that we don't know that they're there per se, and we're sending them out essentially as ambassadors of Earth. We're, <laughs> we're sending those guys out to populate other planets because they could literally, they might become dormant, but they can actually land on a planet like Mars or something and survive in that atmosphere. And if they do happen to there, we do know that there's water on Mars. We've now discovered that there's ice particles and things, so they could live in that. They don't require oxygen per se uh, and they are asexual they can actually reproduce without the need of a partner so they're kind of like if we could learn how to harvest 
the things that we envy about them, you know, just think what you could do. Because, you know, they're looking at these things now as a sort of testing and experimenting and, and trying to look at how could we utilize characteristics of the tardigrade to do things like cure cancer or prolong life or make people uh, functionally immortal even in space, you know? So, yeah, these are fascinating. And stuff like this is always fascinating. <laughs> so I remember... I don't know how I heard of them. You might have mentioned them, and that's maybe how I heard of them. But I have a vivid memory of 2015. It would have been 2015 or 2014. We were in the cabin, which is where you and I first met mm -hmm. in the flesh, mm -hmm. which is why it's probably the memory is related. So I don't know if it was I was just researching something and, or you had mentioned it. But I went and looked these dumb guys up. Uh, they look like little gummy bears that like got squeezed out of the, the machine and just got like a little extra morphy. Yeah. But they're really cute, like you said, in a terrifying, horrific way if they were, you know, life, yeah. like human-sized. But I remember looking these guys up and I read an article similar to this one and it had a picture of them. Mm -hmm. And this picture makes it look like a microscopic image that's been blown up. So I don't know why I was an idiot, but I thought, I don't think anywhere in the article it said that they were microscopic. <laughs> and so I was, and then I remember saying that these, or I remember the article saying that, yeah, these exist in pretty much any water, you know, if you have a creek or you know, standing water, it's a lot easier to find because then they're not, you know, running. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go find some little water bears. And I like ran outside and I found like a puddle and I grabbed a cup of water and I was like, well, this just looks like water. I can't see shit in here. There's no tardigrades or little water bears or gummy bears or anything. And I was really disappointed. And then I kind of wrote them off as a lie <laughs> because that's how I do my research. So <laughs> that's how you do here we come research. full circle and I find out that they are in fact micro freaking scopic. And I probably had billions of them in my cup of water. And they were could, all looking up at be. me like, please don't eat us. Uh, but yeah. even if you do, yeah. it doesn't matter because we can survive. We don't care. Do whatever you yeah, do. Yeah, they're not worried we're about not worried you about eating. <laughs> Here's a tidbit. This is one of the things that just astounds me. So like this article that I found that we'll share has a bunch of different little tabs that sort of are questions and ideas about tardigrades, facts about them, whatever. And one of them is, are tardigrades endangered? Hmm. And they're not by any stretch, but it goes on to say that it says in 2017, scientists from Harvard and Oxford University looked at the probabilities of certain astronomical events, including Earth pummeling asteroids, neighboring supernova blasts, gamma ray bursts, that sort of thing. And they basically determined that, as this guy says, David Sloan says, to our surprise, we found that although nearby supernovas or large asteroid impacts would be catastrophic for people, tardigrades would be unaffected. So they would survive the explosion of the sun is basically what they're saying. Like these things would actually survive. So the, you can see why everyone is so keen to know more about these things. Yeah. And I love the line here where they're even talking, they're like, well, it doesn't even matter if you just send one to space because it says reproduction in tardigrades may be sexual or asexual depending on the species. Yeah. So it's, it's like, you know, these things are just going to be like, well, you do not have sex with anybody. That doesn't matter. I'm just going to asexually reproduce well, on my own. Now there's five And look at what we us. know, thanks to Jurassic Park for this tidbit of knowledge. But I mean, look at what we know about certain species of like amphibians and reptiles on Earth, right? In fact, it's not just reptiles and amphibians. They've actually seen this in fish populations and in some small mammal populations. But if in an environment where one gender is missing, there aren't enough prospects for procreation you'll see certain species flip gingers. Yeah. So they'll actually switch genetically. So males will become female or other vice versa. That's happening so, in humans too. You know, that's interesting. You say that like it, if you stop, honestly, in all, all seriousness, if you stop and think about what actually evolution is, 
Um, there's nothing in the science of evolution that would preclude the sort of self-actualized switch between one gender or another as part of sure. evolution. That makes sense, yeah. So that it could very well be a sort of genetic cry <laughs> of sorts, a sort of imperative of, of sorts. It's weird. I'm not going to go into anything too detailed on that because I have not done any research whatsoever on that topic, but I do know that it happens in the animal kingdom. And so there's no reason to believe it wouldn't happen in a more microscopic animal kingdom. And what's interesting is tardigrades are not exactly the smallest. You can actually see them with a microscope at a certain power. Right. As opposed to like quarks and atoms and right. bacteria that so, may live on levels just slightly above that. That kind of brings like what's below, like is there something smaller than tardigrades that we, you know, <laughs> that might be And if similar. physics has taught us anything, the answer is almost certainly. Yeah. You know, and I say physics, but even though this is more biology and chemistry, physics were like, well, the atom for a long time, classical physics, Newtonian physics, the atom was the smallest thing. And that was how all matter was made up of atoms. Yeah. And now we're like, okay, well, let's blow up an atom. You know, like that leads to bad things, but also what's inside of it? Because obviously there's something smaller making up the atom. Yeah. And we got to quarks and all these kinds of weird things. And so I'm just sort of blown away by how little real physics, especially at that infinitesimally small level, yeah. doesn't like classical physics rules that yeah. Newton, you know, tried to put in place. Right? Yeah. And so I'm just finding that why is the same not true in chemistry and biology as well, where tardigrades obviously operate on a completely different scale. And so why wouldn't the rules be different? Yeah. You know, and for example, I remember in my biology class in college, there were like seven features of life, you know, one with like homeostasis, mm -hmm. the ability to reproduce, that kind of stuff, asexually or sexually, whatever. And these guys like clearly don't follow half those rules, Yeah. but they're obviously alive. You know, they're not a virus, you know? Yeah. They're living, like I would say, breathing life and they're fascinating. How? How the hell does that work, you know? Yeah. And the fact that they can just roll up into these little dehydrated balls called tons and live forever, that's wild. I mean, that's just – I mean, if I could do that, I live in a constant state of dehydration. So, like, yeah. I'm basically a ton. So, what happens <laughs> – here's a what if. Like, they have DNA. So, if we're able to somehow decode their DNA and read it, then there will be instances of tardigrades from just about every era we can think of throughout history, the history of this planet – we could get a window into evolution of various species and yeah. different cataclysmic events and things like that. Because you can see markers of that in certain DNA. So if they go to the Antarctic and discover that there's a pocket of tardigrades frozen down at the deepest levels of this thing, that could give us a clue as to what was happening, you know, 10,000, 100,000, a million, a billion years right. ago. Right. But then once we're out in space, if we start discovering tardigrades out in the depths of space, that would surely have no connection to Earth, right? But maybe they do. Maybe there's more connection than we realize. So this is yet again one of those things where like there's an open-ended mystery as to how these things function and what their purpose is, where they come from, and where they're going. So as an author, you've, you've got carte blanche. You can just take this and run with it and do almost literally any kind of story you want with these things. You know, they're responsible for consuming Amelia Earhart uh, in her airplane. <laughs> Maybe that's so. what it was, yeah. <laughs> she didn't even get to land. They just ate her on they the way. They just ate her. She became, she mutated into a tardigrade <laughs> and is now living among the, the stars. The first thing I think of is like a military thriller where secret black ops lab has created a human-sized version of the tardigrade. Mm -hmm. Like they've just blown it up. Like, honey, I blew up the kids yeah. level kind of thing with equally stupid technology that does it, of course. Yeah. 
And so now there's like this army of uh, super soldiers riding tardigrades into battle and the tardigrades, but they're like alien sucking hole. Like that's their teeth and it just churns and it just eats through people Mm -hmm. left and right. And no one can stop them. Yeah. And forget drones. Those don't exist because that ruins my story. <laughs> forget current modern warfare technology. This is set in the 40s. That's what drones, it is. That, that's that's right. what's set happening. Set in the 40s. It's an alternate reality. An alternate reality where America takes out a millionaire uh, is with... leading an army of giant tardigrades. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Amelia Earhart is flying tardigrades. She's flying she tardigrades. Can Corsair. tardigrades fly? That's the question. No, but if they're part of all the water, then why not raindrops? You know, yeah. why not vapor, cloud vapor? Yeah. She's figured out how to tap into that energy. Why not? The reference to Star Trek was that in the newer series, uh, Star Trek Discovery, the first season revolved around. They discovered this giant, larger-than-human-sized tardigrade that could navigate what they call the mycelial network, lyceal network. It's a network of space fungus Mm. that would let them travel faster than the speed of light instantaneously to wherever they want to be in the universe. And uh, I love that. that That's always the science fiction. It's like we find something new in space, and we're like, well, can we use it to travel faster than the speed of light? Yeah. Okay, not interested. So <laughs> there's a controversy involved with that, though, because there was a guy who designed an independent video game in which there were giant tardigrades that were being used. It's called tardigrades, by the way, that are being used to transport people instantly from place to place in our space. And when you start looking at the guy's case, it's obvious he's going to lose because he doesn't have the money to fight Paramount. But it's obvious that they did steal this story <laughs> down to the characters like they cast characters Oh, uh, of course. Who look just like his characters, you know. So, of course. That's anyway, what Hollywood does. That's the Star Trek version of Tardigrades. And they've dropped that since. Like, that's no – I think the legal case was probably strong enough that they decided it wasn't worth keeping that aspect of the story. It was a weird aspect of the story anyway. Like, it just, <laughs> like it just was unique, but it's like, okay, you clearly stole that. <laughs> right. <laughs> clearly ripped that off. They did. Yeah, that's not abnormal these days, but yeah, yeah. So well, that's that tardigrades and Amelia Earhart for you. Amelia Earhart riding on clouds with tardigrades at her feet. Uh, tardigrades, ladies and gentlemen. Jar. Didn't think we can combine those, but boom, we did. Ha ha ha. That would that's be an interesting challenge. I think you and I have done things like that before. That's how we got uh, machine <laughs> blue topaz, <laughs> topaz balloon, machine, machine helicopter, helicopter. Uh, <laughs> where you just combine. Oh god, disparate ideas. Find, I'm sure you still have the cover. Oh, design. I still have the put cover. That artwork up. But, yeah, yeah, we'll post that at some point. But I knew exactly where you were going with that. We just <laughs> don't tell each other the stories beforehand, and then we just drop them and try to combine them. Well, into everyone a, listening is wondering what plot. the hell we're talking about. Unless you are OG and you went all the way back <laughs> to <laughs> self publishing insiders, self publishing answers, self publishing answers. Sorry, self publishing insiders. Self publishing show. Yeah. Self publishing insiders is the wannabe self publishing answers. <laughs> right. We were the OG man. We started first before everyone. Back when podcasting wasn't cool. Yeah, man. So. Oh, we'll post that. That's funny. Well, anyway, that's probably enough for me. Yep. Thanks for listening. And if we haven't made a compelling reason for you to tune in by now, it's hopeless. Let's face it. We've got our seven listeners and we're just going to roll into the future with them. So we appreciate you seven people. No, there's like, there's quite a few of you guys listening. If you don't mind, give us a shout out on whatever socials you do. There's a very strong chance we won't see it because we're old and we don't know how to use socials, but tag us on MySpace and we will definitely come to your page. (laughs) And listen to your 
crappy music with your terribly designed CSS and HTML. <laughs> anyway, that's enough. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Once again, I am your host, Nick Thacker, here with my good friend and ally. And sometimes, what should we say? Because we do a lot of things sometimes. Cohort. Sometimes cohort. Yeah. Mr. J. Kevin Tomlinson, Esquire. And uh, Roland Denzel, by the way, pointed out, and I already knew this, but he pointed out to me that Esquire means you're an attorney. So I am hmm. not an attorney. What I offer is not legal advice. So do not take anything I say as legal advice. In fact, I'm not much. So now we have a contradiction in words here because I don't believe in and trust anything any Roland Denzel says. So (laughs) I think Kevin's a lawyer and he should be. So here we go. We are here, a lawyer and a not lawyer, saying thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, all. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think. From mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching dramatic action-adventure novels, our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.